Hey everybody, this is Jim from faithtestedbyfire.com, and you are listening to the Faith Tested by Fire podcast. Hello everyone, my name is Jim Galliano. Thanks for joining me today for the Faith Tested by Fire podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about faith and overcoming the tests and trials of life. And if you haven't been to the main website yet and signed up, you can do that at faithtestedbyfire.com right there on the front page. I just want to read a few scripture verses to you just to reinforce the big picture of salvation, God's simple plan. 1 John chapter 2, verses 23 through 25 says, Whoever denies the Son, the same has not the Father. He that acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Let that, therefore, abide in you, or live in you, which you have heard from the beginning. If that which you have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, you shall also continue in the Son and in the Father. I like that. In some scriptures, we see a distinction, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. In other scriptures, we see basically all three combined in one. And this is a mystery uh, for some people. This is something that's very difficult for them to understand. I look at it this way. You can look as, at a physical body as an example, which is really the individual. Is it their head? Is it their heart? Is it their hands? Is it their legs? No, all of those pieces make up one body. We can also look at a family the same way, and we can think, who are who is really... We look at the Jones family. It's comprised of a father, a mother, and children. Which one is really a Jones? Well, they all are. They all are together. It's one family. And so... I look at that because that is the picture language that the Bible shows us that we're not just those who believe aren't just individuals scattered all over God's creation, all over the face of the earth. And we are actually what the Bible says, part of him. He lives in us. We live in him. So Jesus came to bring something we call salvation. That word in the original Greek text in which the New Testament was written it's called sozo, S-O-Z-O. And if you have a dictionary, a Greek Hebrew dictionary, like Strong's Concordance, you can read the definition of it there. It means to save, to deliver or protect literally or figuratively. Heal, preserve, save, self, do well, be, make whole. So Vine's Expository Dictionary of Biblical Words says salvation denotes deliverance, preservation, material and temporal deliverance from danger and apprehension. And so you can see this play out throughout the Bible in different situations. For example, here is an example of salvation in action. Matthew chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. Now, this isn't the main topic that I was going to talk about today, but as long as I'm here, I'm actually reading this right from my website. Um, but Matthew chapter 9, verses 1 through 7, this is the American King James Version, maybe a little easier for some people to understand. It says, As he entered into a ship and passed over and came into his own city, and behold, they brought unto him, or they brought to him, I should say, I'm, in my mind goes back to the old King James Version often, because that's the version that I uh, learned on originally when I first read the Bible, or when I first started studying the Bible, I should say. And behold, they brought to him a man sick of the palsy, lying on a bed, and Jesus seeing their faith. Now, that right there really stands out to me, because faith can be seen, in other words, in the form of action. 
seeing their faith, said to the sick of the palsy, Son, be of good cheer, your sins are forgiven. And behold, certain of the scribes said within themselves, This man blasphemes. You know, if you and I had been there at the time, who knows, maybe at that point in our individual lives, maybe we would have thought the same thing. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why think you evil in your hearts? For whether is it easier to say, Your sins be forgiven you, or arise and walk? But that you may know the Son of Man has power or authority on earth to forgive sins. And then he said to the sick of the palsy, Arise, take up your bed and go to your house. And verse 7 says, And he rose and departed to his house. What a situation there. Well, what is it easier to say? Your sons be forget your sins be forgiven or rise and walk. Which which statement is easier to say? Well, they're both the same. In other words, they are two sides to the same coin. Jesus came to bring sozo, salvation. He came to bring wholeness of the total man, spirit, soul, and body. And and that's really exciting and to me that's what separates true living faith from religion. Religion explains away the power of God and puts everything off into this far distant future, the great by and by, like some people say. And all our problems solve after, are solved after we die and go to heaven. But if you look at Jesus, and remember Jesus said to his disciples, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You remember Thomas said to show us the Father? In, um, I believe that's around the 15th or 16th chapter of John's Gospel. Show us the Father, and, and it'll be sufficient. And he said, have I, or Philip actually was the one that asked that question, the disciple Philip, and he said, have I been with you so long a time, and still you haven't known me? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father, he said. Jesus went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil. He helped people in the here and now. If they were hungry, he fed them. Right? The Bible says that he had a treasury and they, rid, uh, they helped the poor out regularly. And if people needed a miracle and they came to him, they got a miracle. If people were looking to reconnect with or connect to God, reconnect to God, then that's what they got. In other words, people who were missing something, people who were in need, had their needs met when they looked to Jesus. Sometimes Jesus found people and called out to them. Other times he situated himself in such a place where he would have high visibility and allowed the people to come to him. And Jesus looked at the crowds like sheep having no shepherd. And I think sometimes today people feel like that. Even people who believe, they feel like they have a shepherd, but the shepherd may be off in the sweet by and by. He's not actually working actively involved in their everyday life situation and again religion has painted that picture religion tells us to just suffer and one day our suffering will be relieved and while that might be true on paper when we see the life of jesus we see the exact opposite of that we see deliverance when jesus is on the scene deliverance healing wholeness comes with him now let's take another look at example of salvation james chapter 5 verses 15 and 16 it says, and the prayer of faith shall save the sick. It doesn't say might save the sick. It says the prayer of faith shall save the sick. Right? Faith is the evidence of things not seen. Faith believes without having something visible to, to hang, hinge its confidence on. Faith believes in the invisible. Faith believes in, in, in 
the power of the Holy Spirit. Faith believes in the authority of the Word of God. Faith believes in the power of the name of Jesus. Faith believes that God watches over his word to perform it. And faith perseveres when there's no visible evidence that prayers or the name of Jesus or anything else that we've talked about has caused the desired result. Faith believes in the unseen. So it says here, the, fair, the prayer of faith shall save the sick. All right. And the Lord shall raise them up and... If he has committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Again, one coin that has two sides, saving the sick and forgiveness of sins. Verse 16 says, confess your faults to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. So you can see two things there. Number one is confessing your faults to one another. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that today and pray for one another. Two things, not just pray for one another, but confess your faults to one another. And, you know, that goes right along, too, with um, confessing your faults, I think, unto God or to God. But let me read that full verse before we move on. Confess your faults to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Right. Jesus is our righteousness. If you, if, you don't, if you need a scripture verse to prove that to you, check out 1 Corinthians 1.30. Jesus has been made unto us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. And finally, Luke chapter 23, verses 39 through 43. Again, American King James Version. We're looking at salvation in action. Uh, and one of the malefactors which were hanging, uh, which were hanged, railed on him, saying, If you be the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him saying do you not fear god seeing you are in the same condemnation and we indeed justly for we receive the due reward of our deeds but this man has done nothing amiss and he said to jesus lord remember me when you come into your kingdom i, I think there's people like that today too people that follow but they kind of follow from afar why? Because it has to do with the deeds that you do, the things that you say, the life that you lead that gives you either confidence or a lack of confidence. But look at what it says in verse 43. And Jesus said to him, truly, I say to you, today shall you be with me in paradise. So, you know, I think a lot of times people um, like many subjects of the Bible, we can apply this to people educate their head at the expense of their heart. Jesus kept things simple. He didn't go out of his way to explain theology to his followers. His message was very simple, and God confirmed what he said with signs following, healing, deliverance, salvation, forgiveness, all of these things in one package, not in separate packages. But today we tend to look at things from more of an intellectual standpoint. I believe that's because the West that we live in, or Western thought, maybe you call it that, was basically came from early Greek society in which there were philosophers and uh, people that based their uh, beliefs and, and, their, and their science wholly on things that could be seen and measured and duplicated. But, you know, there's so much that's 
beyond what we can see and what we can understand. To bring everything down to just the things that we can visibly see and measure is to do ourselves a great disservice, of course. But I want to talk a little bit about, let me just pull this up quickly here. I want to go into, um, let's take a look at Matthew chapter 14, starting in verse number 24. Matthew chapter 14. This is the King James Version. I'm going to read this. Excuse me. And one of the things I want to talk about is is, uh, honesty and being transparent and just the part that that plays wherever your heart happens to be at today in your life experience and, and how it relates to the kingdom of God, which you're a part of. If you are a believer, I know that. And I, I sat back and looked at this uh, afresh again. Sometimes it's easy to assume that you know what you know, and, and, and that's the way it is, especially if you've known something a long time. So if you've done anything for a number of years, I don't care what it is, whether it's a subject that you've studied or a profession that you've, you're involved in, sometimes you feel that what you have currently is basically all there is. Maybe there's a little bit more. But when it comes to spiritual things, you really can't take that kind of approach because it's almost like, and I think about this, what is this world really like in our place in it? Why isn't that God just pulled us out of this, you know, why didn't he just pull us out of this world when we believed? And some of the answers are obvious and maybe some of them are not so obvious. And I look at the parable of parables, the parable of the sower. (coughs) Excuse me, I'm not going to go there. I just want to reference it when Jesus talked about the seed and the sower went out and sowed the seed and it talks about the different kinds of ground that the seed falls into. And the ones, the the seed that fell into the good ground uh, brought forth a return, first the blade, then the ear, then the full corn in the ear. And when I look at everything in life, it seems to follow that pattern. Uh, There's the seed, the seed is sown, and we can apply this to just about everything in life from just natural human birth and and growth and development to our individual growth and development as it relates to certain things that we do in our life to the society the bible says that there was good seed and there was also tares both of them grew up together we can see that happening in our society today all around us and you know sometimes when it comes to prayer and faith and overcoming the tests and trials of life We don't always see the result immediately, although we try and magnify and celebrate when we see an instant, instantaneous type of answer come to pass. And and that's what we look for. And it's understandable why we we look for that. And so, you know, obviously, if somebody is is sick, I've seen people get well gradually. I've seen people get well instantly. And I'm sure that if you ask the individual and, you know, which one would you prefer? Would you prefer to get well gradually or would you prefer to get well instantly? I talked to a man who had been suffering from cancer. He was basically sent home to die he had in all throughout his body. Plus, he had cancerous uh, tumors on his skin, covering his skin. And he made the choice that he was going to pray and believe God and trust God. And so... As a way of acting on his faith, he wanted to get some other Christians to believe with him. He went to a uh, church, 
He's a fairly new believer, I believe, at the time. I've heard him relate this story several times and um, talked to him about this. And uh, he received immediately the cancerous tumors that were on the surface of his skin dried up and fell off. I believe he said it was about two weeks that that took. But the symptoms, the internal symptoms of the cancer, now, of course, he couldn't look on the inside of himself, linger for another two years. And so he would do the best that he can do while simply standing on the scripture, by his stripes we were healed. And, and that was a scripture that I wrestled with earlier on in my own walk of faith back in the mid-1980s. When I first heard it, um, a preacher that I respected their opinion, he said, that just means spiritual healing. That doesn't mean physical healing. And the problem was there are certain denominations that spiritualized everything. And so basically what we were left with was that another version of, well, you're going to get your answer after you leave this world in the sweet by and by, then you'll be healed. And, uh, and that really didn't make sense to me because I read other scriptures which said, like Psalm 103.3, Bless the Lord, all my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquities and who healeth all thy diseases. And Exodus 15.26, in which the Lord proclaimed, I am the Lord that healeth thee. And he brought them forth with silver and gold out of Egypt, and there was not one feeble one among them. And I can go through all these healing scriptures, but suddenly we get to the New Testament. All that physical stuff is gone. But, you know, yet, and here's the interesting thing about it. This is an, some arguments you have to settle in your own heart. In other words, you can't rely on other people and their thoughts and their insights and their opinions be the sole influence on what you believe. Sometimes, you know, we really regard someone or hold them in high esteem, and so we tend to adapt their beliefs. And think of that in the growing process in general, in which maybe at one time you were a teenager and or in your preteen years, maybe you just believed what your parents believed because that's what they taught you. And you never really examined those beliefs closely. You just accepted them as, as being so because they were people maybe that you admired or that you looked up to. Maybe you didn't look up to your parents. Maybe you looked up to another person in your family or there was a teacher or somebody and you adopted their opinions because you held them in high esteem. Well, you know, I believe the Bible it basically interprets itself and that because of the Holy Spirit, if you are a believer, the Bible says, yet you have no man that you have no need that any man teach you, but the Spirit will lead you into all the truth. And I believe that. But I believe also we've been taught maybe to rely on the opinions and insights of others a little too much, and we haven't been to the place where we seek to have our own revelation and gain our own insights directly between uh, you and God, God and ourselves. And so that was something that I was guilty of for years because there were people that I admired on both sides of the equation. And I realized that finally I'm going to have to believe because I believe and not because somebody's argument sounded better than another. I would have to go to the God's word for myself and, and seek it out. And so I see healing. I see forgiveness. I see miracles all through the Old and New Testament. And I see miracles occurring after the resurrection when the disciples went out. I saw miracles occurring when... Um, Stephen, who wasn't one of the apostles, 
preached. And then I saw miracles happening today. Eventually, I experienced them for myself in my own life. And eventually, I seen the power of God at work. And but but see, that's that's me. That was my experience. Now, you need to have that for yourself. You need to see it for yourself, not just because somebody makes a good or compelling argument. You need to read the Bible and see it again for yourself. So knowing God as he is, salvation includes everything, spirit, soul, and body, and it includes it the moment you believe. Jesus Christ is the same, the Bible says yesterday, today, and forever. So if he healed under the Old Testament, he healed under the New if people received healing, physical healing, and physical deliverance, and physical miracles, and, and guidance from the Holy Spirit under the Old Covenant, a lot of them weren't even Jewish, right? Naaman wasn't Jewish. Uh, the widow who, who served Elijah wasn't Jewish. And that was When Jesus pointed that out, the people wanted to throw him headlong off, the, uh, uh, off, the, off a cliff. Because they were offended. So getting back to this but this simple scripture, by his stripes you were healed, I, I can't tell you how many people that I know that have received physical healing in their bodies, some very miraculous standing on those scriptures. But anyway, this person I was telling you about, he went and to confess that by his stripes we are healed. Jesus, the Bible says, was a land slain before the foundations of the earth. He forgave people in his physical presence, in the time he physically walked the earth, he said, your sins be forgiven, you. And what do you think happened in that moment that they were forgiven by God? Right? That means their sins were wiped away. They were separated like the Old Testament said, as far as the East is from the West. And so when once, the, once you receive forgiveness, as long as you accept it or believe in it, then all the self-condemnation and all that stuff falls away. You feel good. You feel clean. And it's even that way when, well, let me not go too far down this road. Let me get back to the main thought here. Um, so, yeah, the healing, forgiveness, it's all, you know, it's, it's all together. It's one package. It's not separate things. And so he confessed that script, by your stripes I'm healed. Thank you, Lord, by your stripes I am healed. Jesus forgave people in person, and then he forgave the world at the cross, Jesus healed people in person, and then he healed everybody at the cross. Um, and he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So once once you accept that, once you can believe that, because you see it for yourself, not because someone talks you into it. But once you can see those scriptures for yourself, and it's not like that's the only scripture. There's many scriptures that go into all of these things, all of these blessings that we have um, that are available to us. Let me put it that way. But, but... On the balance side of it, you know, some people will point to that. Some people don't feel comfortable talking about blessings. Let's face it. We are in a world where there are evil powers and demonic entities and fallen beings. The Bible talks about them in the book of Ephesians. And we f have to fight them by fighting the good fight of faith. We have to fight them by having faith in the name of Jesus. We have to fight them by having faith in the name of Jesus. Revelation 12, 11 says they overcame the devil by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, testifying who they were in Christ, who Christ was in them, what they could do through him, what they had in him. All of those things was became a good testimony. Okay, 
By now you should be at Matthew chapter 14. I'm going to start reading in verse number 24. It says, But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. This is the King James Version. By the way, this was the first Bible that I ever got. I, I, well, the first study Bible, let me put it that way. I originally started reading the Bible in the mid-80s. I believe it was 1984 or 1985, the uh, Living, Living Bible, I think, or Good News. That's what it was, Good News for Modern Man. And I kept that Bible. It was a little paperback Bible I got on the nightstand at the Days Inn. And then from there, it was my birthday coming up. I believe I was going to be 20 years old. Um, let's see. Yeah, 20 years old. 21, I'm sorry. 1986. And uh, my mom asked me what I wanted for my birthday. And I told her a King James Bible. And that was the only one that I knew for sure. And then I remember when I got that Bible, it was thick waiting. I almost wanted to give up and just say we got the wrong version. Again, this, we're looking at 1986. I wanted to say we got the wrong version and go back and get another one that was easier to read, but then I realized that this is the version that the concordances were built around. This is the version all the people have been preaching for uh, the last 20 or 30 years. Let me let me just give it a shot. and I actually learned to enjoy the language a little bit. It was very poetic, kind of certain words just rolled off the tongue. And I'm not saying that other that you should look at it the same way. I'm just saying that that's how I got my start. Maybe if uh, this had come along, maybe if I had been a believer in later years, or if I was born later, maybe I would have went with the New King James version. I don't know. I'm not like a King James only person. Although again, I find myself coming back to this version more than any other. And if you have Bible software, you can look up a verse in multiple versions. But the most important thing is the Holy Spirit unfolding and opening up truths to you as an individual within your own heart, not just listening to what other people are saying. All right, I'm sorry for that little uh, side journey there, but let's get back to this story. The wind was contrary, and in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus saith and spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Isn't that incredible? Now think about that. Do you think like Peter gave a lot of thought to this? Do you think he was looking at this scientifically? He probably just looked at it and, you know, being a man, I know how I would look at it. This is totally cool. This is awesome. Can I try? <laughs> and uh, But it says, when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. Now think of that. Fear was the thing that caused the miracle that was taking place to begin to recede and begin to stop. It didn't happen instantly. Um. The, the friend that I was talking about with the tumors that fell off his body, I never did finish that story. I'm sorry. Let me do it now. He said that the cancers fell off of his skin within a two-week period. They just dried up and fell off. But all the inward cancer, or at least the symptoms, remained for another two years, and he was down to under 100 pounds. He was just skin and bones, but he was still doing his work. 
And I said, do you think that your faith was growing gradually or do you think that you weren't really believing 100%? That's why it took so long to come to pass. And he turned around, he told me no. He said he was believing just as strong on day one as he was on at the end of year one. And he was believing just as strongly at the end of year two as he was at the beginning of year one. And he said one day, he just noticed that his body was beginning to put on weight and the symptoms were disappearing. And that was it. And eventually he just looked normal. And of course, when he went back to the doctor, finally, he wasn't waiting for the doctor's approval. He wasn't waiting for the doctor to tell him he was healed. He believed that by Jesus' stripes, he was healed. And so that was something he committed to. He committed to it in his heart. And then he went on and, and throughout his life, he's still alive today. He's received other miracles that were uh, astounding and that happened instantly. And he said, I said, knowing what you know now, as opposed to what you knew 20 years ago, is there a reason why you think it took longer for it to come to pass? And he said he really doesn't, can't put a finger on anything. But he said, it really doesn't matter. It happened. You know, sometimes I think that the Bible says that the Lord will not allow us to be tempted above that which we are able, but will with every temptation provide a way of escape that we may be able to bear it. And so I think that one of the things that we're here on life to do is to go through that process of growth. First the blade, then the ear, then the full corn in the ear. Think about the days when you were in school. Maybe some tests you found incredibly difficult, where other ones were very easy, right? As a student, you face trials and tribulations during, your, during the learning process. Everything just isn't easy. Uh, I mean, you have to study, you have to invest time and effort into learning. And I believe this is the process that God has us in here. I, I often use the example of professional fighters, or boxers as an example. Followed pro boxing all my life and really enjoyed the different characters that I learned about over the years. My grandfather was a Hall of Fame boxing trainer who worked with Jersey Joe Walcott, who at the time was the oldest heavyweight champion of the world. Uh, he eventually got knocked out by um, Rocky Marciano. <clears throat> but what I enjoyed about, I actually met these people, not Rocky Marciano, but Jersey Joe Walcott and many others, Hall of Fame fighters. And uh, fighting is, is tough. It really is. I mean, but the winning, the victory, the everything that comes with the rewards of being a successful fighter are, are significant. They always have been. Yeah, you might say there's easier sports, but I'm, I'm likening that unto our Christian walk, unto fighting the good fight of faith. Because when you're in a test and trial, some trials are extended. And a lot of people have made comments throughout the years, those who have gone before us, that um, great victories are the result of great battles. And a great battle isn't like a one-round knockout. Now, a great battle is something that stretches into the championship rounds where uh, both victory and defeat are hanging in the balance. And sometimes we've seen great fighters take a beating only to come back in the final rounds and rescue their titles, their championships with a stunning, shocking knockout. And so we have an, an adversary here in the earth. It's not God. It's Satan, demonic evil powers. We can't see them in, under normal circumstances, but we, what we can see is the result of their presence. You know, sometimes people think, well, this is everything is just God allows it. 
You know, every all the emphasis on bad things is put on God allowing. It's not put on the devil, or on the accuser, or on an adversary. And we can see Jesus facing the adversary over and over and over again. And yeah, sometimes the adversary would go away for a season, but he would come back again. And so that is what life is like. It's not about um, being comfortable. It's not about being famous. It's not about being wealthy. And yeah, you can be all of those things, but at the end of the day, it's about growing into the, the person, the man, the woman that God has destined you to be. And I believe that when we go into the heavenly world, I have no proof of this, but it's just something that I personally believe. If I'm wrong, it really won't matter, but I kind of believe that that growth will continue throughout the ages. I believe yet it will be just like Jesus, it will be just like he is, but I believe there'll be things that we do that extend our talents into infinity and that there'll always be things that are, are growing and developing not just in the heavenly world around us, but for ourselves as individuals. Anyway, you can see there that fear caused the power of God to um, draw back. <coughs> Excuse me. Matthew fourteen thirty, it says he cried out, Lord, save me. I love that. I love that because that is the heartfelt cry of a man sinking under the waves. I have to tell you myself, I am not a good swimmer so i can imagine myself you know sometimes we look at this in stories like this and we think oh i wouldn't do that i would have reacted differently but it's hard to say that because that's kind of like knowing the answers before the test is given peter didn't have that luxury this was the first time that anybody had ever walked on the water beside jesus jesus was probably the first man to walk on water right in this situation he was a first peter was the second <laughs> But, you know, it says immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand, immediately, 1431, Matthew, and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? Or we could say that in maybe what the American King James Version would say, why did you doubt? Why were you afraid? Well, aren't the reasons obvious? I would have said because it was a huge wave heading my way. And, and Jesus probably would have said something like, yeah, but I was here. What, is, what does he say, actually, the first words out of his mouth when they were cried out in fear? In verse four, uh, chapter 14, verse 27, it says, Straight away, Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. Be not afraid is repeated over and over and over again. Whenever a representative of God appears, whether it's a prophet or an angel or what do they say? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And so why? Because fear causes you to sink. So, you know, maybe you're not trying to walk on the water. Maybe you're just trying to pay your bills. But, you know, seeing late notices come in the mail or getting threatening phone calls causes you to be afraid and the power of God start. you begin to sink. And I know what it's like to be caught up in such emotion that the whatever the Bible says, the opposite of that seems to be more real and more alive than the promises of God. But let me just be honest with you. That's being human. Think about this. Peter and the other disciples who lived and ate and walked with Jesus day in and day out for years. We're subject to the same thing that you and I are subject to today. 
So isn't it, doesn't it go without saying that this is the human condition? However, here's the thing. What if Peter had not, it says, but when he saw, right, what he looked at, what he gave his attention to affected his beliefs, affected his faith. What if he just kept his eyes on Jesus and walked towards him? You think the waves would have hit him? And even if the wave did hit him, do you think it would have um, disoriented him or knocked him down or any? If he refused to be afraid but only believe, then he would have been just like Jesus. He probably could have walked across the entire uh, sea at the time and he wouldn't have had any problem. He probably wouldn't even have to bother to get back in the boat. But it says, what does it say there? When they were coming to the ship, the wind ceased. So you can see the wind was probably caused by some kind of demonic power or powers that were there to threaten. It's kind of like Goliath, you know, threatening the people of God, threatening to kill and destroy. And we see one thing about evil is they're, they're not, there's no shortage of threats. And we see that today. We see all kinds of, of evil threats coming forth in our time, in our era, in our country. And sometimes, if you don't look at Jesus, it's easy to get intimidated almost immediately. It's kind of like when Jezebel said that she was going to have the uh, uh, head of Elijah. Or Elijah, not Elisha. Elisha was Elijah's um, protege. Elijah came first. But think about when uh, all of the, uh, you can look at his life and all the things that he overcame and the prophets of Baal and everything. And then when he was threatened by Jezebel, one person, he just basically got afraid and ran for his life and became totally de demoralized and discouraged. And so what do we see here? We see that the, the human condition is, is inconsistency. It's not just knowing the truth. Even though we know the truth, even though we know righteousness, we're inconsistent in our ability to apply it and to live it and to walk it out. That's why Jesus had to come or else he could have and go to the cross. <clears throat> That's why they couldn't obey and follow the Ten Commandments. They were always breaking them. But the grace of God is such that now some people might say, yes, but you still have to live righteous. You still have to be righteous. But you know what it takes? Let me just be completely honest with you. It really takes a ongoing honesty in your own heart with yourself and before God. I find that this is the, the if there is a key of keys to anything in life, it's that. You know, there are some times where I come before God to pray about something. I've needed the Lord's help and I just didn't feel good about being there or even praying. And it took some time to examine my heart and to confess what was in there, to even recognize what was in there. Because something was bothering me. There was something I was disappointed about. There was something I was unsure of. And instead of opening my heart up and letting the light of, of sincerity, truth, of the Holy Spirit shine on that thing, I kind of unconsciously or subconsciously just pushed it back. And so think about that for a minute. It's kind of like if you live with pain in your body, in your physical body, and you have that pain, you adjust your life to accommodate that pain to live as best you can. 
especially if you haven't gotten free of it. Or some people take medicine for pain and they're still not free, but they learn to adjust their life and they live around the pain, which means that they know there's certain things they're incapable of doing. And so they're living their life on a lower level than they otherwise would live on if they were pain free. I think you can understand that. That's just a physical example. But inside, in the heart, in your soul, there's pain sometimes that you suppress and you don't bring out into the light because it's painful. It's almost like pulling the shoulder back out that's out of um, out of the socket. You have to pull it to get it back in. You ever see that before? Maybe you've seen it. I'm sure you've seen it in the movies where somebody's shoulder comes out of their socket. Or like a bone that has to be kind of sort of rebroken to set so it heals properly. Sometimes the way through um, the way to healing goes through a little bit of of pain, and we don't want that. And so we bur- we bury fears and anxieties and things that we're not comfortable with on the inside and ignore them, and we focus on the things that we enjoy focusing on, and that becomes a habit. And so what I've learned is there needs to be honesty in your heart, even if you have you feel like you're confessing something to your own hurt. You know, sometimes you can be ashamed of something that you thought about or you can't believe that you thought that way. But you have to realize that this warfare that we fight, fighting the good fight of faith, where do you, you don't physically see demons and devils and evil spirits and things like that. But you feel the effect of their presence. And a lot of times what they do is they if you accept their thoughts as your thoughts, then you suffer the consequences for it. These spiritual battles, a lot of it takes place in the mind and in the heart. Or we should say in the heart and the mind. Thoughts come. Thoughts of doubt. Thoughts of fear. Just like we saw here with Peter. And it's not just with doing something obvious like walking on the water. It's other things in life. People have all kinds of fears. And unless you're ready to bring that to the surface and face it, facing a fear is not easy or else everybody would be doing it. Because even those people that don't believe Know that when you face something that was keeping you down, when you face the monsters in your life and you finally face them down, then you have freedom. You don't have to worry about that anymore. Again, that that test is over. And so, yeah, we practice a lot of avoidance. Let's take a look at Mark chapter uh, 9. I'm running out of time here. Verse number 15. Mark chapter 9, verse 15. Starting in verse 15. And this is one of my favorite sections where we can see what's faith playing out. It says, And straight away all the people, when they beheld him, were greatly amazed and running to him, saluted him. And he asked one of the scribes, What question ye with them? In other words, what's going on? One of the multitude answered and said, Master, I have brought unto thee my son, which has a dumb spirit. And wheresoever he taketh him, he teareth him. He foameth, gnashes his teeth, and pineth away. And I spake to thy disciples that they should cast him out, and they could not. Now think about that right there. I, I have a son. He's ha- he has a dumb spirit. He convulses. He foams at the mouth. He gnashes his teeth. And what does Jesus say? How does he answer him? Verse number 19, Mark chapter 9. He answereth him and saith, O faithless generation. Think about that. Faithless, that means without faith. How long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him here to me. In other words, you could have done this. The disciples could have helped this man out. They had, Jesus had given them the authority. First, he gave it to um, 12. 
Then he gave it to 70. And then he gave it to the whole church, all those who would believe. And he said, he brought him unto him. And when he saw him, the boy straightway, the spirit teareth him or the spirit in the boy. And he fell on the ground and wallowed foaming. And he asked his father, how long is it ago since it came unto him? And he said, of a child. And oftentimes it has cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. You know, sometimes I think like if somebody came along today and showed a, um, a person like this to a doctor and they examined him, maybe they would see chemical imbalances and all that stuff in the body. And they see, you know, it's obviously it's not a spirit, uh, spirit. This is science. This isn't superstition. However, you ask yourself this, the presence of a spirit can cause all kinds of things to change in the body. The presence of God in a human body can cause a decaying, infirmed body to become completely whole again. The presence of a demon or a spirit in the, in a, in the same body can cause the reverse of that, sickness and disease. So we see the fruit, but we don't always see the root. So... Um, Listen to what the father said. And oftentimes it has cast him into the fire, into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And listen to Jesus' response. And Jesus said unto him, if thou canst believe. Now Jesus, the, the, he turned the, this entire thing around. Some people would say, this is kind of, uh, this is not really compassionate. But, you know, think about it. When the situation is in dire, is sometimes you can't, you can't be soft. You have to show people exactly where it's at. This, person, this boy had this of a, as of a child. Right? He was born with this. The spirit came into him. and Well, maybe he wasn't born with it. But at a very early age, the spirit came into him. I think we see that a lot. A lot of things go back to childhood that create people. That, who they become in later years. But anyway, Jesus said to him, if thou canst believe, all things are possible to him who believes, if you can have faith. So now, again, some people look at that and say that's kind of harsh, but look at what happens after that. Verse number 24, and straight away, the father of the child cried out and he said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. Obviously, the father had some faith and he just cried out with tears. This was the honest response right there. This, in my opinion, is the key to more situations than people realize is that you have to be honest with yourself. Right? The, the, maybe the father didn't want to take on the responsibility of belief. And Jesus knew that. And so he turned it right around and said, if you can believe, not it's what I can do, but if you can believe, then it's possible. And the father, of course, he had some kind of faith going on the inside of him, or he never would have brought the boy to the disciples or to Jesus to begin with. He would have just thought, well, they probably can't do anything. He's had this his whole life or probably won't work because I'm a sinful person. You know, there was something in him. There was faith working in him. Maybe it was just the blade, right? Remember how the growth happens? First the blade, then the ear, then the full corn in the ear. I remember hearing recently about bamboo grows that way. The roots, it takes four to five years for the roots to grow, and it just looks like it's nothing is growing. And then suddenly within a period of six weeks, it'll grow up nine feet. So it takes like 
five plus years to grow this entire network of, of roots before the fruit, which is the bamboo shoot pole, springs up into the air nine plus feet and, you know, how strong bamboo is. And so the answer comes all at once, but it comes after a long period of not seeing anything. So he cried out, help thou my unbelief. You know, sometimes it's hard to admit that you're doubting. And sometimes it's a, it's fearful to admit you're doubting because you're afraid that God will reject you. I mean, we've heard that without faith, it's impossible to please God. And some people don't even want to deal with the subject of faith because they're afraid that if they can't believe, then they're going to die or be destroyed or all this. But let me say, you, you wouldn't be calling to an invisible God unless you had faith. You wouldn't be calling out on the name of a man that you really didn't believe was there. In other words, you don't pray to the tooth fairy or Santa Claus if God doesn't help you and, and think that, well, maybe one of them will be around. <laughs> you know, it sounds ridiculous saying it, but the reason why you're calling out is because you do believe you do have faith, but you probably have unbelief, just like the disciples did when they didn't see a result right away. Right? And then Jesus saw, he rebuked, in verse 25, it says, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto them, or saying unto him, thou deaf and dumb spirit, I charge thee, come out of him and enter him no more. So he told the spirit exactly what he wanted him to do. Come out of him and enter him no more. And what does it say there? I charge thee. What does the word charge mean here in the, <coughs> excuse me, a little bit dry here. What does the word charge mean here? Let me look it up quickly comes from the Greek word 2004-2004. It says an order to arrange upon. That is an order, command, enjoin. So it means exactly what it says. I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. And then what does it say? What happened? Well, the spirit came out of him. It said the spirit cried. And rent him sore and came out of him, and he was as one dead, insomuch that they said he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. Isn't that interesting? Now, in this, in verse 28 and 29, it says, When he came into the house, the disciples asked him privately, Why couldn't we cast him out? And he said unto them, This kind and come forth by nothing but prayer and unbelief, uh, or sorry, prayer and fasting. Another one, it said, why couldn't we cast him out in Mark's gospel? It says, because of your unbelief. So I've always believed that um, prayer and fasting is the cure for unbelief, not casting out demons, because this would be the only instance in which that was ever. And, and you know, people can make all kinds of doctrines out of things saying that, you know, there's this type of uh, spirit and that type of a spirit and and try and make a science out of it. And the, and the truth is, we just see shadows of it. We don't see the exact science of it spelled out in the Bible. And I believe it's that way for a reason. Because childlike faith simply believes in the name of Jesus. It believes in the power of God. And prayer and fasting doesn't change the devil. It changes the people who are doing the praying and the fasting. And this is where I think honesty really comes in. Because right here, what, what, did the, what was the prayer that the father made to Jesus? What was the entreaty that he made right before the miracle happened? 
It says, the father cried out with tears, saying, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. In other words, have mercy on me. I'm trying. I know I have unbelief. Please help me. Did Jesus say no? Did Jesus say wait a while? No, he actually went out and he did it. Now, I know that, you know, we can look at this several different ways. We can look at when Jesus was raised from the dead and Thomas saw him. And before Thomas saw the uh, risen Jesus, he said, unless I can see him and touch him and put my hand in the holes in his, put my finger in the holes in his hand, in his hands, and in the hole in his side, I will not believe. And then when Jesus appeared to him and allowed him to touch him, Thomas just fell to his knees and said, my Lord, my God. And Jesus responded and said, you know, you because you've seen, you believe, but blessed are those people like you and I who have not seen and yet believe. So, I mean, even, even if you had a vision of Jesus, unless you're physically touching him, unless you have something solid, you have to exercise belief. But God rewards people who believe. I, I'm telling you this from experience, in my own life experience, and the experience of other people. I can't tell you how many people I've talked to. Some receive answers immediately. Some are a delay. And I just think that at the end of the day, I, I sum it up and I look at it simply as some tests have more questions than others. Some tests have more challenges than others. Complete the complete test and you're done. Be ye followers of them who through faith and patience, James said in the book of James, inherit the promises. Every good and every perfect gift cometh down from the above, from the Father of lights with whom there's no variance, neither shadow of turning. In other words, your problem isn't God. God isn't delaying. God isn't withholding. And I know it feels like he is sometimes because I've actually felt that way. And the feelings were so real that it seemed they seemed more true than what I was reading in the book. But yet, 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says we walk by faith and not by sight. And so what I've learned is, let me just leave you with a few thoughts. What I've learned is, as long as I have my eyes on myself, even examining my own faith and belief for a little too long, then the more I feel pressure to perform, the more I feel pressure to say and do all of the right things, and the more I feel that the delay in seeing the answer is due to the fact that I'm missing something. And when I start digging for something I'm missing, it's like the disciples asking Jesus in private, why couldn't we cast it out? Why isn't this working? Because of your unbelief. And so, you know, I look at it this way. Let me t tell you a quick, another quick story. So the other day I was uh, changing a part in the car and I broke it. And then after that, I remember the fear coming. I had one... Um, part left to replace that broken part with, which I had just put in because I didn't do it right. And I thought, well, if I broke, break this one, then I'm going to have to go to the store and buy more parts. And I just, I felt a little bit discouraged. I felt a little bit disheartened. I blamed myself. And finally, I had to pour out my heart to the Lord. And when I did that, it was amazing what came out. Things that had nothing to do with the work that I was doing. It's just stuff that had piled up over the week. And I remember thinking, and I said, Lord, you know, I felt discouraged this week. I felt a little bit discouraged because of this situation and that situation. And I could have just given it to you, but I didn't because I was so busy. I was so involved 
you know, I, I was emotionally invested and things weren't going the way I wanted to go with certain work things. And then around the house, things kept breaking and need, needed to be fixed. And, and all this stuff was hitting me. And I said, you know, you said in your word, and this is me talking to the Lord. And I said, you know, you, you said that to keep our eyes on you, to, to believe and to, um, and to not doubt, but I've been thinking, um, this is what I'm worried about. I'm really worried about this. Um, for whatever reason, I'm thinking that you're really not listening to me. And these are little things. And sometimes I feel like I'm even wasting your time asking for this little thing. And I know that according to the Bible, there's nothing too small. And I went through all of this. And finally, when I talked the last issue out, I was at a place where I had so much peace in my heart. That I said, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to go out and I'm not going to overthink this. I'm just going to do what I know how to do and trust that you lead and guide me to what, however it plays out. I'm fine with because you're in control now. And I went out there and one, two, three, the problem that had been a problem was solved almost immediately. And that led me to think about some words that I heard from an old preacher long gone. I listened to an old audio uh, that I had of him. And he said, looking back on his life, this man lived to be almost 90. He said, I recognize something, that the greatest times that God has led me and the greatest things that happened, looking back, I wasn't even aware that it was him leading me at the time. To me, that's, he said, when the greatest returns came into my life. And I thought about that myself. I thought about how many times I had strained to listen, to hear what God was saying. Turn right, turn left, yes or no, forward or backward. And then at the end of that time, basically I made a decision that in hindsight was more or less based on my own emotions and feelings about the topic, not based on the leading and guiding of the Holy Spirit. And so what I've learned is situation by situation, I have to talk these things out. I have to examine my own heart. I have to ask for some forgiveness and deal with unbelief because just knowing the truth is not enough being in, in a human body and being okay with that, being okay with the fact that, Hey, you know, you may do the same stupid thing over and over again. And so, or some habits that should be easier to overcome still are not overcome and just learn instead of starting to focus and try to fix yourself, to put your eyes on the Lord. Someday that may mean putting your eyes on the Father. Some days that may mean talking to the Holy Spirit. Some days that may mean talking to Jesus. The thing is, is that the greatest obstacles we face, I believe, because of the fact that we are forgiven, that we are in Christ, that we are in him, that he's the head, we're the body. All things are under his feet, which means if we're part of his body, all things are under the lowest members of the body. So... It, with all that in mind, that the, the greatest hindrances are the ones that are internal to us as individuals. And that is our test. And that's what we have to pass. It's being open. It's being willing. It's being honest. And allowing not just the faith side of things to grow, but the, the fruit of the Spirit. The kindness, the gentleness, the meekness, the long-suffering, the patience. The love those things that, you know, when you don't deal with them, you, you kind of build up a little bit of condemnation on the inside and it becomes easier to fall into unbelief.
Sonny, yeah, we are all learning, we are all growing, and I hope I've given you a little bit of encouragement today. I encourage you after reading, or excuse me, you're not reading what I'm saying, you're listening. After uh, listening and reading through the scriptures, I just encourage you to you know, open up your heart and allow God into some of the areas that maybe you're not exactly comfortable talking about or thinking about or dealing with. And I just want to encourage you to go through that because the Lord is the great healer. I don't care whether you're talking about the soul or the spirit or the physical body. He can heal you from the inside out. You can be free. You can have joy. You can have fulfillment in life. But it doesn't come by just taking the scriptures and trying to figure out what they mean on your own and trying to apply them with your own effort, with your own ingenuity. And it doesn't come by buying courses and books about what the Bible says. And all of those things have their place. I'm not saying that. But at the end of the day, this is supposed to be a relationship between you and your creator. All right, that's about it for today. Uh, I'll look forward to seeing all of you next time. Thank you so much for listening. God bless, and I will talk to you soon.